We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shabbos, everybody. Good morning. Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Wow, good Shabbos. Did you run down? Did you run? Or... Okay, good. This morning's uh, Kriya, the morning reading this morning, our learning, our learning and learning is on page 989. 989. For those of you uh, who are new to Roman this morning or maybe have forgotten, the first Aliyah this morning will be for anyone to come forward if this reading and the teachings behind it speak to you. Um, I've heard wonderful things uh, about the Torah. It's kind of been known to influence and gain friends and teach lessons, and especially ones that are opportune and uh, kind of speaking to us where we are. The beginning of the book of Dvarim always coincides with Shabbat Chazon, which is this morning the Shabbat of vision. Shabbat Chazon is the Shabbat immediately preceding Tisha B'Av, and as such, um, it is it always brings in some way something very powerful about Tisha B'Av. I just want to say for future reference, it's very hard as a teacher to teach from this side of the room all the way to people who are sitting behind here. And so for future Shabbat mornings, if we could like try our best to come into these two rows. It makes it easier for me as a teacher. I know that it might sacrifice your user experience, but for me as a teacher, it's much harder to walk and see people here and then know that I'm turning my back on people over here. So if we're not super packed in future Shabbat mornings, I invite people to try to make it into these two rows. Um, it's very, very, it's kind of an insight that I had this week about Dvarim and the opening of Dvarim and Moshe and Tisha B'Av that I think that I'll never forget. Not because I think it was so brilliant, but because I'd never seen it before. And now that I've seen it, I can't not see it. And that's this. I mentioned it last night in my message that the entire book of Dvarim, the book of Deuteronomy, is known in our tradition as Moses' book. Right? This is like Torah of Moshe. In fact, it's, most of it is in the first person. Moshe speaking as if it were, right? It's me speaking. Not Moshe receiving it from God, but Moshe speaking. In fact, it leads the Zohar in the 13th century to say that Dvarim is Shechinta Dabre Mipume de Moshe. That the Shechina, the divine presence, is speaking from within the mouth, the throat of Moses himself. As if Moses were now inspired now, he kind of, like the good student who heard everything he needed to hear from the teacher, and now he can speak on his own. And the Torah says, Eilah Dvarim, Asher Diber Moshe. These are the words that Moshe spoke. It's of course not lost on the reader who's attuned that when Moses, who calls himself Loish Dvarim Anochi, when Moses speaks to God and says, I'm not the one for your mission, he says, I'm not a man of words. And the very same word for words is now used to characterize the book that Moses himself will speak 
I'm not a man of Devarim. And the book of Devarim is all spoken by Moshe who says he's not a man of Devarim. Could have fooled us. And it's not lost on us as readers, and it was lost on me, but maybe it's not lost on you guys, that the bringing together of Moshe speaking about what it will be like when they go into the land, a land that he will never see, is juxtaposed very powerfully with Tisha B'Av, which commemorates the land that we lost. That Moshe, who will never see the Holy Land and will be giving people warnings about what will befall them if they don't treat it with respect, treat it as a gift, treat it as something that they merited, something that both was a gift but also that they had to live into. They had to be worthy of the gift that was given to them and Moshe himself was not given that gift. We read that reality, Moshe, every year on the same Shabbat or the Shabbat right before, we will tell, we will be told about a story that Moshe could not have known, or maybe he did, would befall the people. They wouldn't listen to Moshe and they would lose the land. The people who would be given the gift would be kicked out of the land. And so every year, for 49 years, I have missed this message. The message of, of a gift that is given that must be taken care of, that must be cared for, that must be right, paid back on some level, that we all have gifts that others might be jealous of, that we say, no, that's, you know, I'm not going to take care of that. And that others will see it and say, well, you... Sliding doors every single year. Moshe saying, go into land, take care of it. Tisha B'Av, we didn't. Here we are. So how we use power obsesses Moshe in the last of the five books of Moshe. Moshe is obsessed with us not becoming... Egypt. Now, Egypt, of course, literally Egypt, but Egypt, we don't have to see it that way, but for the ancient Israelites, Egypt was the embodiment of all the things that we should not become. We should not worship death. We shouldn't worship magic. We shouldn't enslave. We should use power appropriately. The book of Devarim is a check on power. When you will go into the land how will you work with power? And our reading this morning is pretty amazing. Let's, let's pick up chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1 on page 989. Vanathan 989. Vanathan Vanisa Hamid Bara Derek Yamsuf Moshe says, Then God told me, we marched backwards, we're back into the wilderness by the way of the Yamsuf, we went backwards. God had spoken to me, and we skirted the hill country of Seir a long time. And then God said to me, Enough circling this mountain. Now time to go north. And now the nation charged the people. Now you will be coming onto the Gvul, the boundary of your brother, the children of 
Isso. Ja? They will be afraid of you. And you should be careful with them. Do not provoke them. Do not provoke them. I will not give you from their land. Not even a foot. Not even so much as a foot can tread on it. I have given them their own inheritance as a possession. You must buy provisions from them with money, water, and food. God has blessed you and also blessed them. It's a wild moment. We're about to conquer everyone. We're about to go into land and we'll conquer, we'll take what quote-unquote belongs to others because it was originally promised to us. But there is something that does not belong to us, something that was promised not to us but to someone else. And the Torah makes it really clear at this moment that we're not to provoke them because it doesn't belong to us. But before it says do not provoke them, it says something very powerful. The words in verse... The end of verse 4 say, umikem, They will be afraid of you. Od, and be careful. What kind of care do you have to have when someone is afraid of you? This bothered Chazal, the rabbis are bothered by this phrase. What is od? What does it mean that we have to be careful? What does it mean that we have to be careful if they're afraid of us? What kind of care? We should be careful because they're stronger than us. We should be careful because they will be provoked and then, oi vavoy, it's a hornet's nest. Vinishmartem, the word shmirah, to be observant or to be careful, it appears in a number of places in the Torah. Vinishmartem ma'odanafshotechem, be super careful. Why should we be careful? What's the connection between vir umikem vinishmartem od? They will be afraid of you and now the end of the verse, vinishmartem, and you should be dutifully careful. Not to abuse their power. Says Rashi. Listen to this beautiful phrase from Rashi. Says Rashi, the great medieval exegete, French commentator. Do not provoke them. Don't be, don't provoke them. But why? Right? Why? Because, says Rashi, This is not the watching over of the we- of those who are weak to be cared for. We have to be careful because we're weaker than them. But the opposite, says Rashi, because you are stronger than them, because you are more powerful than them, you have a responsibility to not provoke them. Try telling that to my nine-year-old son, Bear. You're the stronger one, but Abba, why? It's not fair. You're the stronger one. You have more power. You have more power. Be careful with your power. Do we need a stronger teaching at this moment than those who have power shouldn't abuse it? At every level of our society now, we are, uh, we are in the throes. 
of what it means to have power and what it means to be silenced, what it means to misuse authority that has been given to us, to misuse the prerogative that we might have. It's remarkable what's happening. It's not surprising, but remarkable that at this moment our country is in the throes of a conversation about those who misuse both projected authority, power in various departments, how we use our power and misuse our power. Now, of course, it's not a new conversation. It's at the heart of the Constitution of the United States. It's at the heart of every society. The Torah is saying here, you're going through right an area. You might have thought that this belongs to you, but no, you're not allowed to take that. You're not justified in taking it. And you have power. So those two things. You're not justified, but you have power. So you might arrogate yourself what doesn't belong to you. This, of course, is just a foreshadowing of the entirety of the book of, of Deuteronomy that, of course, later on, when we talk about a king in Israel, the institution of the monarchy and the terror of the Deuteronomist or Moshe around what a king might do to the culture of Israel, what power might do to an Israelite nation who is still suffers from slavery and a slavery mentality, what it might feel like to have once been weak and now to be in power. And we do unto others as we would have them do unto us, but we forget that once we have power. Those who are bosses know that once we get the power to be bosses, we say, oh, okay, I got the power. Boss unto others as you would have had them boss unto you. Would be a wonderful mantra. But we know, unfortunately, that that isn't the case. And parenting and other structures are such, are such like nuclear, these really cellular structures of our culture are where we bear it out most strongly. Parent unto others as you would have had them parent unto you is a really wonderful maxim that is very, very hard. Very hard. But aspirationally, the Torah says, listen, you're going to, Maybe, maybe, maybe the Torah is telling us, and you guys, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm, if you have anything to say, I'm, I'm really want to hear. But maybe the Torah is saying to us, first and foremost, when you are in power, before we decide, right, there is a check on your power, but maybe you need to know what belongs to you first. And then we can discuss, right, why you want to take something that doesn't belong to you. The Torah wants us to know that the justification for the limits on our authority is that, that didn't belong to you. Har Seir and Esau, the, the beauty of this message, right? Esau and the Israelites are not friends. In the Bible, Seir and Esau are not friends. They're your brother, but they're not friends. And Thor says, no, but your brother also has his place. So know what belongs to you, and then be careful with how you wield authority, the Torah says. I'm open to any thoughts and feelings that are coming up for you now. If anybody has anything during open up. And then we'll come in for a landing with a call for an aliyah. Arthur.
So either it's intrinsically wrong, which I think I, I would actually place in a hierarchy of why we shouldn't do things just because, you know, maybe intrinsically what's morally or ethically problematic shouldn't be done, period. And then on top of that, if you don't buy it or you're not interested in that frame, it's just not, in, it's not instrumental. You're going to wind up being, right, it's just not good for you. Consequences, Consequences will be, right. And which, of course, I, I want to say that that obviously is weaker. And the, re the reason for that is because if one can convince themselves that they won't be held accountable and the consequences won't be dire, then they can just get away with it because they don't feel ethically or morally, right, limbed in, as we can see with certain people who run our country. So, yeah. But, but yes. Karen. I just want to say that just it, had the Torah not told us this, this might not have been intuitive. Right? In other words, the, the beauty of this passage here is to say that historically we might have imagined that because Esau had been our enemy that we were entitled to what God had blessed them. But for Moses to situate the blessing of, of the brother of Jacob, the sworn enemy of Jacob, to say that he too had been blessed by God and to say this person has their space, their place that must be honored and that that is in some sense to invoke that and then to remind the people do not provoke them even though you're stronger than them you have a shmirah it's as if to say that, that you will be provoking you will be stealing again the birthright of Esau, you once again will be usurping what doesn't belong to you, and that God, God's self, the divine promise here is that Esau has what belongs to them. And that the Torah then comes and says, but be careful, because you might have thought otherwise. And so I, I'm with you, right, that the boss, quote unquote, the one who has power, has, doesn't have free reign, but it might not have been intuitive <laughs> had the Torah not come along and said, Right? We needed the modeling of the Torah itself. Moses had to be the one to say, listen, I know I've told you, here is land that you can take. We're not going there right now, in general, geopolitically or whatever it might be, but there is, right? there are things you are permitted and there are things that you are not permitted. And to be able to have that perspective and that check is so powerful. And it's also a check on our own individual jealousies on an individual level. It's not just, we're talking about here, a misuse of power. But on an individual level, imagine saying to yourself that what belongs to them is theirs. And what belongs to us, we have enough. God blessed us. Yeah, Jamie. The, the anonymity of, of Esau? The enmity. Yeah, because Esau was supposed to be the one to get the birthright. And then he was 
respectful of someone else's of what belongs to someone else. Yes, and then yeah. It's, it's such a, a powerful reminder about boundaries. It's also a powerful reminder about power itself and about who, upon whom is the onus. And I think that often in, in broad conversations, whether about Israel-Palestine, whether about um, on every level at which this conversation happens, the, the core and someone who was very involved in negotiations in Israel between Palestinians and Israelis said to me once that he wished he had not gone to school for uh, he had not gone to school for law. He had not gone to school for political science. He wished he had gotten a psychology degree because he felt that no matter what happened, all of the negotiations always came down to who was the victim, who had the power, and who didn't. And it didn't matter that you could point to military might or power. Vis-a-vis Israel, there was always a perception of powerlessness that was being motivated, uh, that motivated certain actions. And the conversation about who has power and who doesn't have power is is a very it's 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 a complicated conversation and sometimes it's really obvious and sometimes it's not but you're right in this case it's a very clear boundary and that's very refreshing in this text and yeah it might be nice to have uh, much clearer expectations around boundaries uh i think we have two more comments and then we're coming in for landing yes The Israel-Gaza situation as in this moment, um, you know, depending on whom you ask at this moment, um, let's just put it this way. Um, I, I think that, by and large, the conversation about this moment can't be extracted from a larger conversation about the relationship between Israel and Gaza and between Israel and Hamas and Israel with its neighbors. I think that it's very hard um, to be here watching what's happening and to not feel the the asymmetry of power between Israel and its neighbor. Um, And I also recognize that it's even, it's more complicated than this Torah portion is. Um, And I would have to, you know, take a lot more time to spell out my personal feelings about the entire situation, uh, I, I, I want to leave it at that. With that, yeah, yeah, yes. So the connection between fear and power and those who have it and don't have it and the, the residual effects of having once been powerless um, and how that impacts this conversation too. We can't forget the Israelites themselves were a people who were afraid and now they might have power, they might have history on their side and the responsibility they have now that the tide has shifted and now that the tables have turned and they're in a different position, 
That, many argue, is exactly the conversation now in Israel about what it is to be a powerful people that were once powerless and how we work with power in many ways. It's, obvious, it's, um, it's very obvious what I'm saying. I'm not saying anything fresh. Um, but I will say that um, this reading this morning, which is the chosen reading this morning, speaks to me in a very personal way as a check and a reminder um, to both know what belongs to me, as it were, what has been given to me and what doesn't belong to me and what has not been given to me, and a blessing to not provoke, to not overreach, to not misuse power. And we all have power, no matter who we are, where we are, we have some degree of power. And the Torah is asking us this morning to be mindful of how we use it and misuse it. And if that speaks to you in a personal way this morning, and you'd like to come up for a blessing this morning from the Torah, I invite you at this moment for open up, to open and come up for the first Aliyah. <laughs> 